The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Benched with Bubba. This is episode 39, and tonight we're talking more fantasy baseball and baseball in general. And I am joined by Keith Farnsworth. You can find Keith on Twitter at fantasy underscore Keith. He writes fantasy baseball stuff at thelinescore.com and a very, very good fantasy baseball podcast him and his buddies do at the Line Score Fantasy Front Office Pod. Check that out. But first off, Keith, how are we doing tonight? Uh, doing good, man. No complaints on my side. Happy to be on. That's great. I'm, uh, I'm glad to have you. It's been a good follow since uh, I found you on Twitter. And uh, yeah, today's Tuesday. For those that don't follow Keith, he does his Twitter polls and stuff. Always good stuff. He's always tweeting out good you know, stats and just always stuff coming out from Keith, especially fantasy baseball-wise. Really good stuff. Check him out on Twitter and the podcast and everything else he does. But um, as we, before we get really into this, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, how long have you been playing fantasy baseball? Probably seriously for about seven or eight years. Before that, uh, you know, kind of off and on throughout high school and stuff like that. But, but taking it pretty seriously for about seven years, uh, playing in, in one or two leagues with the same guys. And that's where a lot of the fun comes from is, you know, the camaraderie that you're playing with the same group of guys and the competition year upon year and, you know, the trash talk and you win a championship one year and you get, you know, seventh or eighth the next year. And so uh, it's been a good little run here the past seven or eight years. Yeah, no, and that's the best part about fantasy is, you know, it started with many in like fantasy football and then baseball took over or whatever. And, uh, you know, if you're a baseball guy at heart, you're going to love fantasy baseball. And it's that camaraderie is we all have those long leagues, you know, the more you, you do industry stuff and everything, you'll get asked to be in leagues. But uh, you always have that like home league that you can just go back to with your buddies. That's a blast. Um, do you play any other fantasy like football or basketball or anything like that? I, I try really hard to play fantasy football, but I, I have a hard time getting into it. Um, I'm a baseball first guy. You know, I get geeky with the stats and I follow way too much baseball. So I'm, you know, pretty informed on that stuff. But on football, I just, it's not that I'm not a football fan. Um, I tune in, I watch the games. I, I love them. Um, but I'm just not any good at fantasy, fantasy football. So it's, it's tougher for me to get in, you know, into, uh, than it is for fantasy baseball. So definitely baseball first. It's understandable that football, it's, it's ever changing. Unlike baseball where you can kind of trust the stats after a while football, it's literally, you know, and it's so quick. If you have an injury or two, you're, you're screwed right out the gate and your whole season's ruined and everything it's for not. 
So um, when we're talking fantasy baseball, as we get to know Keith a little more, do you prefer like a head-to-head or a rotisserie format? So I started off playing Roto, you know, a while back. And because I started off in Roto, I think that's something that's kind of stuck with me. So I like the strategy that comes along with that. Um, I played in several head-to-head leagues and I enjoy those as well. Um, but I think probably for me, I'm, I'm going to stick with Roto. The home league that, that we'll talk about here, I think in a little bit is, is a Roto league that has been around for a long time. And that's kind of where my heart is. Yeah, no, I like that. And, uh, I have a feeling, like I said, I've gotten to know you a little bit through Twitter off and on and, um, your, your, your mindset and your stats mindset is similar. And that's why I like Roto as well Is it's, to me, like I tell people, it's the more pure sense of fantasy baseball. Head-to-head can be just like a lucky week here or there, and you get to the playoffs, and you could have the best team, and it won't matter. Roto, you get the best team for the whole season. And yeah. at least you get the season outlook, you know, barring stupid injuries and stuff, and that's a whole other topic we'll get to. But at least with Roto, you kind of get a sense of an actual baseball team in a baseball season. Yeah, so, the, the, the tough thing that comes with Roto that you try to combat is – yeah. When you have somebody that's really, really good in Roto, they run away with it maybe after like, you know, a month or two. And so you have to do things like uh, make it a dynasty league where the bottom teams can kind of sell off assets and, and buy cheaper, younger players um, or create penalties for like the, the last place team to where if they're, if they're going to tank, um, you know, they, uh, they have to pay a penalty to like the, the third or fourth place player to keep guys engaged. So there's things you can do to, to keep it entertaining on the Roto side, but uh it makes sense why people play head-to-head because um, you can stay in it longer and uh, and it's more entertaining for maybe everybody in the league. But I agree with you. From a pure sense uh, standpoint, Roto seems to be the way to go. Yeah, and uh, that is one thing with Roto is guys can run away with it and that's horrible. Or even if it's like five or six guys run away, but then that bottom three are just bad. They disappear and it kind of ruins the league. But, yeah, you can, you can add factors like you mentioned. I know I do a league that I've done for years – and we do like till the all-star break that gets a percentage of the pot. And then you still have the full season, but then from the all-star break on, it's almost a whole new season. So if you're in last place, you start fresh. So as long as you keep playing, you never know. You can make a little cash back or something. makes it a little different, but um, how long you've been doing fantasy baseball have competitively for about six, seven years. Have you been a baseball fan your whole life? Has this been something you've just been drawn to forever? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, you know, I'm from Arizona, uh, so growing up in Phoenix, we didn't have the Diamondbacks until the expansion of 1998. So I grew up watching the Braves and the Cubs because that's what I could catch on TV. So WGN, you know, watching Sandberg and, and Mark Grace and all those guys, uh, Sean Dunstan. And then uh, on the other side on the Braves, watching Chipper and the, that rotation from the 90s, it was just absolutely you know, amazing with Maddox and Glavin, Smoltz, Avery, all those guys. So that's kind of the baseball era that I grew up in. Um, and then when the Dimebacks came along in 1998, um, you know, quick quick path to uh, to a World Series there in, in three years, and and uh, that was a lot of fun too. So you know, 90s to to early 2000s, man, I got hooked pretty pretty quickly. Um, good era of baseball. It's it's pretty it's pretty cool that you mentioned that that early the 90s era because. It's funny. A lot of people don't remember that if even, you know, if you had a local, like I've had the Giants forever, but they didn't always have, you know, a full package with Comcast or NBC Bay Area or whatever it was. 
So literally all you had was the Braves on TBS and you had the Cubs on WGN. And that's like what you grew up with unless you had, you know, for the Giants, you might have got three or four games a week guaranteed instead of now like any market you get every game. But back in those days, a lot of people forget that, that you grew up. If you didn't have a team like yourself, you were a Braves or a Cubs fan. It was crazy. But that's it's a whole different era these days that people just take for granted, I think. And uh, it's pretty crazy to think about that. Um, so growing up a baseball fan, I have to ask, on your Twitter profile, it said you played catch with Garth Brooks. I'm a country fan. I've seen Garth Brooks uh, five or six times now in concert. A lot of that's due to my mother who's like traveled to see him because she's obsessed. But I've even seen him twice on his recent tour. Um, people might make fun of me because I'm a country fan. I don't care. That's fine. But I love Garth Brooks. He's a great person in general. But how the heck did you play catch with Garth Brooks? I got to know this story. <laughs> All right. So actually, you know, uh, not surprising. I, I get asked this question quite a bit. In fact, in fact, five minutes before I went on, I had somebody, you know, direct message me and say, hey, what, tell me that story about Garth Brooks. So um, it's actually a really cool story. A buddy of mine used to go to spring training games all the time. Um, it was probably back in 2002, 2003. And around that time, Garth, every few years was hanging out on like a week or two week basis with some of the, the major league clubs during spring training. He was almost signing like a you know a marketing you know two week contract. He'd go out there and shag balls and hit and hit BP and and so I was hanging out at the Royal Spring Training Facility here in Surprise, uh, kind of my home turf. And uh, we had just caught batting practice and, and we're walking around and we were walking out into an area that we shouldn't technically have been in. We parked in the employee parking lot and so we're walking out to the employee parking lot to to, to leave. And we see a player that's dressed in, you know, he's got his, his his uniform on and he's sitting there in this kind of dirt employee parking lot with like three or four other people. They're just having a conversation and we're walking by and I'm like, hey, dude, that looks like Garth Brooks. And he's like, no, it's not Garth, it's not Garth Brooks. And I'm like, all right, man, as we get closer and closer, I'm, I'm nudging him with my elbow like, dude, that, that looks like Garth Brooks. And so we're kind of making a little bit of a scene and Garth kind of looks at us and goes, hey, what's going on, guys? At that point, we knew who it was. We're like kind of freaking out, like, you know, starstruck and being like, so we kind of just walk up to him. He was pretty inviting. We walk up to him. There's two or three other people there talking in this parking lot. And so we talked to him for a few minutes, totally down to earth, just a normal guy. You would never imagine that he was, you know, the the star that he is. It's so we're just kind of there talking baseball and talking about everything. And, you know, I have a glove in my hand. He's got a glove in his hand. And, you know, after a few minutes, we're just sitting there, we're tossing the ball back and forth for five or 10 minutes, just having a conversation like, you know, two baseball fans. And I remember leaving that parking lot being like, did that, did that just happen? Like it was, it was a crazy cool experience. But the, the big takeaway for me is the guy was just amazing. He was down to earth. You know, you have other stories where athletes or, or, you know, stars of his magnitude are just kind of jerks and don't treat people the way they should be. But that wasn't him in this case. Um, in fact, I came back a couple of days later, and met back up with him just to get some autographs and stuff and some things signed. And he was real nice and kind of remembered, you know, talking to us the day before, a couple of days before, just, it's just an awesome experience. Yeah, no, you, you hit it on the head. Garth is one of the best guys I've ever seen. Like I follow him, you can follow him on Twitter and stuff. And he is so down to earth. He's always there just to talk to people and be with, like, he's so cool. Like you said, you never would guess he's this big time. Like he's one of the most successful artists of all time. So it's pretty crazy. But you also summed up why I love going to spring training. I go almost every year. 
It is one of the coolest experiences. I've mentioned it on many of my podcasts. If you're a baseball fan, you have to experience it. I've never gone to Florida per se. I love Arizona, A, because I'm a Giants fan, and B, everything's like within the longest drive from Scottsdale, I think it's 35 minutes or something. It's it's crazy. We Uber everywhere now. You don't even need a car. Um, the games are reasonably priced. They're during the day most of the time. Now they have night games more often. But it's just so fan-friendly. I almost prefer it more than real games half the time now. It's an awesome experience. Awesome. So do you go to a lot of spring training games? Yeah, I, I go to a lot of spring training games here or like, uh, you know, like fall fall league games here. Um, I have been to Florida for, for a trip about 10 years ago with a bunch of bunch of buddies, kind of a guy's trip. Uh, we got a little got into a little bit of trouble and, and had a good time. But uh, I'm actually planning on going back for a, kind of like a 10 year reunion of that guy's trip to, to Florida this next year. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan of spring training. The, the accessibility to the players and just being able to catch home run balls and kind of talk to guys and. And, uh, you know, I have a little little son now, about uh, five years old. So, you know, he gets geeked out to see the players and get autographs and stuff like that. It's just – it's a different experience than what you get at the ballpark right now. So Yeah, totally. And you mentioned the fall league. I can't wait. Um, it's on my list. As long as something doesn't get in the way, I'm heading there this year to check it out. I've been wanting to go forever. I love prospects and all that stuff. So really pumped on that. But um, let's get into some fantasy baseball talk. And let's kick it off with, you know, we're basically two months into the season. May is just wrapping up now. Uh, last day is tomorrow. Give us some of your biggest surprises so far in the season. Um, you know, it could be fantasy, regular baseball related. What are some big surprises to you uh, so far in the baseball season? Well, I think one of the biggest surprises for me is the guy that I've dug into recently is is Michael Conforto. Um expected that he was going to do what he's currently doing. Um, part of that's due to playing time, but still, even if we expected 450 to 500 at-bats, I don't think we'd expect him to be in the top five or top ten in, in the categories that he is. I mean, he's if you look at leaderboards across baseball right now, you see Michael Conforto <laughs> five, six, seven, or eight in almost every offensive category. OPS on base percentage, uh, you know, slugging, hard hit rate, um, he's up there with some of the best hitters in baseball. And so he's a guy that I think everybody's a little bit surprised about. So um, I, I dug into him this past uh, this past week. And the thing that impressed me most about him is just his advanced approach. You know, you see some of these power hitting guys, Gallo or Sano or some of the other guys, their pull percentages off the charts and their, you know, their exit velocity is like 30, you know, 30 or higher. Not Conforto, man. Everything you look at is pretty balanced. He's got uh, probably the most balanced up-the-middle approach than anybody else in baseball. He's hit more balls to center field than anybody else has. You know, he's uh, he, he takes his walks. He's just a very advanced hitter for the age of 24. So he's definitely one of the surprises uh, for me. Yeah, Conforto has been amazing. I know, like, last year he's kind of got his feet wet a little bit. He scuffled. They kept sending him back and forth, toying with him like – some teams like to do with prospects. I've always been a guy that, you know, if you really like a prospect and you trust a prospect, play in the bigs by playing in the bigs. They, you brought them up for a reason. They've they crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's to get there. Now play them. They finally did this year. Like you said, he finally got the playing time, you know, due to injuries or whatnot. It's going to be next to impossible to send him back down now. I remember there was rumors earlier in the year that, okay, once healthy, we're going to send him back. Well, that's not happening anymore. Uh, if they do, the Mets are already a mess. This is going to completely assure that they are a mess. 
Um, it would be one of the craziest things I've ever seen. But what he has done, like you said, is absolutely amazing. He's doing it in the leadoff spot, which is crazy. There's another guy we can talk about, Corey Dickerson, who is also doing it in the leadoff spot out of nowhere. But um, at least he kind of had a track record of something. Conforto has been amazing this year. And uh, he just every time you think, you know, the other shoe is going to drop, he keeps producing. Like you said, he's not – you know, he's not doing the Gallo and Sano thing. He's just being a really good baseball player and very, very productive in doing so. I, I don't know why I'm watching the Giants game right now over the computer, and I don't want to compare him to Bryce Harper because that's not fair at all to anybody. But the approach, I could say, is kind of similar, if that makes sense. You broke it down a lot more. I could be way off. But the approach, because you look at Harper, he can hit for average. He can do other things, but – yeah, I know this is probably a bad comparison, but he stands uh, out more. Yeah, the, the guy that I think um, he is, if he can improve against lefties, uh, which is a, which is a big feat for a young hitter like him. He's he's kind of in that Jake Lamb territory where the teams don't really want to play him against lefties, but if they're producing at the level that they are, you have to run him out there and let them take their lumps. Um, surprisingly, Conforto has been pretty good against lefties in a small sample size. I think when I was looking, his hard contact rate was like 60% against lefties. He's got a few home runs. His strikeout percentage is kind of scary at 37%. So he's got to improve against lefties and 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 probably just cut out his strikeouts in general. If he can do those two things, he's, he's kind of entering Freddie Freeman light territory. That's kind of the comp that, that I saw on there is, is when you look at some of those guys that are in those lists that, you know, you always run like, okay, on on base percentage plus this, or, you know, what's this exit velocity? The groups that I see him in is is those groups of the elite power hitters, but the biggest gap between those guys is Freddie Freeman's a freak, man. I mean, like the Trout and, and Freeman are freaks in that, in that list, and their, their K percentage is, you know, like 15% as opposed to what his is, you know, at 25 or 26. So if he can do those two things, he, he's going to be entering in a pretty elite group there. No, that's a very, very good comparison. Um, did you have any other uh, big surprises to go over? Well, the the one we don't have to talk about him too much, but the one that I'm catching a lot of flack on is Joey Gallo. Uh, so on on our podcast, I've been talking about him, you know, off air and on air, you know, most of the season. Um, I, I own him in our our kind of our staff league, and so they, everybody gives me a hard time when I, you know, he's hitting well, and I and I float him out there for trade offers, and everybody shuts me down. So. Um, he's another guy that I, I dug into that I think everybody is surprised about. Um, he's doing a lot of things really, really well. Um, the, the, the comp that I found for him, which is is really unfair, uh, but mostly I use it to, to point out that his BABIP is is really, really low, is Miguel Sano. They both are big swing and miss guys, both in 37% as far as uh, strikeout percentage. They both have elite level exit velocity. Their hard hit rates are, are really, really good. But the biggest gap between Sano and Gallo is their their soft contact rate. Sano's soft contact rate is four percent, four percent. That is like that is crazy, insane low. Um, so so you know that's a, that's a big difference for me. And and uh, and the launch angle too. Gallo's launch angle is probably closer to I don't know what it is like almost twenty seven percent, which is way too high. You don't want it to be that high. And Sonos is probably around 18. So those are the two biggest differences between those two. But the gap in their BABIP is almost 180 points. So 
Sano's BABIP is is 400 something and and Gallo's is 200 something. So based on how close their their batted ball profile is, Gallo's got to improve a little bit as far as batting average, which may sound insane, but I think he actually could get even a little bit better as far as the batting average goes. Yeah, if a guy like Joey Gallo could even hit, you know, 220 to 30 and with the power production, we're talking like Adam Dunn type stuff and that's that's crazy. Maybe even better than Adam Dunn. Um, so it's good to see he's going to get the playing time. It looks like Beltre came back tonight. Be curious to see how they make that whole rotation work there with uh, Napoli and everybody else involved. But, uh, yeah, he's been very, very surprising because people have pretty much written him off, and he's getting it done, getting it done well. Um, let's talk some disappointments in the first two months. You got one or two of those for us? Um, well, probably my biggest disappointment, and he's a guy that I pumped up in the off season. And coming into the season is Greg Bird. Um, I, I bought into a good fall league. I bought into a, an awesome spring training. Um, you know, the guys in the podcast will, will say that I went out and bought a bunch of Greg Bird t-shirts and I'm wearing them around. I was pumping them up pretty good. And he got off to just an atrocious start. I mean, he went oh for the first month of the season and then he went down with that injury. So um, he's, you know, I, I picked him up on probably half my teams because I was so excited about him. And it's been a pretty rough stretch for, for Greg Bird. So, um, what did you think about Bird coming into the season? Were you uh, were you excited or, or kind of hesitant, or what was your thoughts? I was I was right there with you. I was all in on the Bird train. Uh, the spring training was amazing, and I know you take spring training with a grain of salt. I get it, but we saw what he did before he got hurt. Previously, the talent is definitely there. He looked like he was ready to burst onto the scene. I was all aboard the train. I was getting a little angry come draft season as everybody else was hopping on. And, the, you know, you used to be able to get him at a value and the, the price tag and draft time was getting high. But I was still in on him. I was taking him places. And it was very, very tough to watch the uh, the very bad start, you could say. Uh, now he's on the DL. And they're clicking on all cylinders in New York. So I don't know what they're going to actually do when he gets ready to play. I think they got to play him. But it's it's tough to see how much they will because, yeah, I was all aboard on the Greg Bird train. Definitely yeah, all if he, aboard. If he doesn't get off to a good start when he comes back, he's starting a rehab assignment, I think, this week. And if he doesn't start off hot coming back from the injury, it may just be a lost season for him, which means, you know, you may be able to pick him up really, really cheap in some dynasty leagues or in drafts early next season because I still believe in him as a player. It's just been a terrible, terrible stretch. So um, even if he does turn it on now, his batting average is still pretty – pretty bad from the start of the season. So um, who, who knows? Comp you could make with Tim without – I haven't looked into all the velocities and all that stuff. But just just pure approach, swing, position, all that, uh, a guy I watched develop would be Brandon Belt, and it took him a long time. He had many seasons where it was like, okay, send him back. This is ridiculous. He can't face lefties. Don't play him against lefties. The whole thing you hear with the Greg Bird talks over and over again, but then Belt would always have a great spring, always. And he's finally putting it together, and people are realizing that, A, he plays in Pac Bell or AT&T, whatever they call it today. And um, he's just not going to hit the home runs. If he were to play in Yankee Stadium, I bet you he'd hit 25, 30 home runs. Bird's got that luxury. And like you said, you buy him cheap now, even if it's two, three years from now, sit him on a dynasty roster, the, the talent level is there that eventually he's going to break through and you're going to be reaping the rewards there. 
Yeah, and that's one of the uh, things that, that everybody got. Yeah, and that's one of the things that everybody got excited about was that that the power potential did seem like it was starting to to show its uh, show itself in fall ball and then in spring training. So that's I think what made everybody kind of jump on on board. If that uh, if that continues when he comes back, but you're right, it, being able to play in Yankee Stadium that's a huge luxury for for left-handed batter. So yeah, and then you mentioned you had one other disappointment. What was that? Uh, Ian Kinsler is a guy that I drafted in a bunch of spots, um, which wasn't very smart. I, I can't even really remember what my thought process was, um, but I ended up with him in about four spots. I think I part of mine were, were dynasty, you know, uh, carryovers from the previous year, uh, but he's been bad so far. Now he's down with the hamstring injury. Um, he's still scoring a lot of runs, but his power production's been okay. You know, he's not he's not where everybody else has been. He's not stealing any bases. Uh, so it kind of falls into that no man's territory. Um, he's not going to give you elite level power. He's not going to steal enough bases. Is he a one category guy? I mean, second base and shortstop and middle infield is so deep nowadays with guys that, that can do both power and speed that, uh, that he's kind of a no man's land right now for me. Yeah. Kinsler coming into the season looked like he was ready to, to get it done, you saw him in the World Baseball Classic. He was very productive. He wanted to play baseball the right way, all those good things. And he, yeah, he let, he laid an egg. He got hurt. The Tigers in general laid an egg. They're going to be selling most likely if things don't turn and turn quickly. Yep. So that'll be interesting to see if uh, Kinsler's even around. Uh, he might get dealt a better situation, and things will look good for you in the second half. Um, but it, it, it's interesting. And, yeah, he's been quite – the disappointment to start the others, no doubt about that. Um, you mentioned dynasties a few times, and I wanted to talk about this because you tweeted out your roster the other day. You've been making trades. How long has this dynasty? Is this your seven-year dynasty league? Yeah, it's, so it's the it's the longstanding league that we have. Um, we kind of hit the reset button um, two years ago, and so we drafted from scratch. Dynasty. It's an auction draft. It's got really really big. So it's 40-man rosters, $360 budget, and so we have a lot of fun doing the auction and and uh, getting everybody together for all that stuff. So drafted kind of for this year, last season, and about two or three months in, I realized because I had done that, I'm not going to be in contention this year. I was flirting with like second, third, fourth place, but I, I didn't have enough to really make it work. So I sold off a lot of my assets to prepare for this year. Um, so I, I, I did kind of the, the tanking thing, which you know some people hate, but I knew I wasn't gonna wasn't gonna get first place, and and so uh, so I set myself up pretty good for this year. Um, and my staff is 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 not too bad. Yeah, your your offense is great, though. You've made some deals. Do you happen to have that close by or no? I do. Um, so let me just you want you want to hear my my offense or my my pitching staff? Uh, give us your starters on both sides because I am thoroughly impressed with what you've done, especially now that you're telling me it's only really been going for two years. It's even crazier to me. All right, so I it, it's a it's a ten team league. These are guys that actually do know baseball. Four of them are on my podcast, and like I said, the other like uh, five I've been playing with for almost you know. Um, so I have uh, Scherzer, I have Grinke, I have Kershaw, I have DeGrom, I have Cueto, I have Keuchel, I have an injured Bumgarner. Um, that's kind of the highlight there. 
That is crazy. Yeah, you are locked and loaded. Absolutely. So I, I drafted um, a few of those guys, and then I've made a lot of you know sell high, buy low trades. And and part of the only reason that this is possible in my league is because of the budgets that we have on each player. So um, I might have one of my early season trades. I had Alex Bregman and a couple other prospects, uh, Bradley Zimmer, like three dollars and one dollar a piece. And so for us, we can keep those prospects for you know five years and they only increase by two dollars per per year so bradley zimmer was a dollar you can keep him next year for three the year after that for five so he's extremely valuable in our league just like he is in regular baseball so you can make pretty lopsided trades where you trade you know bregman for five dollars and a zimmer for for one dollar and and end up with somebody like you know a keichel or a cueto um, for teams that are looking to to reload and kind of revamp for for next year so um i ended up bunch of really cheap guys last year I'm coming into the draft having a ton of extra money and I spent on guys like um, Harper Goldschmidt uh, Kershaw uh, 150 bucks on five players you know something crazy because the rest of my guys my I had 22 keepers at around you know 40 or 80 bucks and sent, after that I used all those low leverage asset guys to trade for more expensive players that for teams that are completely out of it so it's it, it's it's kind of like Major League Baseball, uh, but maybe more towards the extreme, where younger guys that have you know four or five years until arbitration, you know Trey Turner in our league and in real life is extremely valuable. You know I think when he was drafted, he was two or three bucks. Uh, in real baseball, he's got years away for arbitration, and he's a top fifteen player. So it's 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 kind of set up that way to where you can really take advantage of you know making a little run for it and sacrificing maybe the future. No, that's outstanding. That's why I wanted to talk about it because I, I love Dynasty Leagues. I'm in a couple. Um, I'm in one that's uh, 15 teams, 40-man rosters, but you can have even high school players. And um, you're, so you're digging deep in the draft, and it's uh, you keep them as long as you want. But the salaries, it's you use the MLB minimum of 505000 and it's all real-life salaries, and you have a salary cap of whatever the salary cap is in baseball, let's say it's – 135 million or whatever, and you build your team. And each year, as you know, say a guy's got a salary that's 10 million this year, 12 next year, 14 after, but your salary on your team changes. So you got to drop certain guys, add guys, whatever, trade, whatever, to make it all work within the salary cap. Yep. So we have a similar uh, salary cap too. So, so it's $360 budget that you have, but your your salary has to be below 180 going into the draft. So, you know, if you can get it below like to $80, like I did, I have that much more money to spend. Yep. You know, if you if you keep $180 on five players, well, then you have to have 35 roster spots with the other 85. So it's it sounds like it's pretty similar. Yeah, no, it is. And, like, I have a buddy that uh, is kind of doing this year what you did last year. He's got basically the minimum he needs to set his lineups, and then he's got so many prospects scattered everywhere that are dirt cheap because he's getting ready to basically go crazy here in a year or two and just load up. Um, it's a blast. I just wanted to bring it up because a lot of people don't play dynasties or, or maybe are intimidated a little. It, this is kind of the fun of a dynasty league is you can kind of play these games like you're a general manager and mold teams and do things differently. I think it's amazing. It's a blast. Um, but that's that's intriguing. And what you did, I just had to hear it firsthand because getting it in you know, a DM is one thing, but I had to hear it personally because that was crazy <laughs> it's been a lot of fun this year is going to be a fun year i'm uh, i'm in first place by uh, 
about 10 points in our Roto League, and I, I don't think I'm going to look back uh, anytime soon. You like the Houston Astros. It's beautiful. Um, you said one thing you've been researching lately, doing some work on is exit velocity. I had Casey Bogoslaw of MLB Barrels on an RL Baseball on the, a couple weeks ago, and he runs the uh, MLB Barrel Alerts account. And so I kind of got a little idea on exit velocity and launch angle and all that good stuff. Um, what are you doing with your research and kind of what angles are you going with that? So one of the things more recently is I've been looking at um, a, a big stat sheet of all qualified hitters. And I've been looking at the associated exit velocities and then the outcomes as far as averages. Um, so one of the more interesting ones that, that I've found is I've got kind of a range set up as far as exit velocity and the associated averages for, for slugging percentage. Um, and it, it kind of showed me what I already thought, but it's nice to have something to kind of back it up. Uh, there's a definite line that gets crossed about 92 miles an hour as far as exit velocity. And there's a big jump as far as slug that happens right around that 91 and a half to 92 miles an hour and above. Um, it, that's where I consider what an elite exit velocity is, anything over 92 miles an hour. Um, and the associated slug, 92 miles an hour or greater, is around 539. Um, so what I like to, to look at is I look at players um, that are maybe overperforming for a, a small stretch and you know hitting seven or eight home runs in, in a 15 or 20 game period. I want to look at their exit velocity and see if that matches up with what I expect them to slug, you know, is this a short-term thing or is this sustainable? And so I've come up with a little bit of a chart that basically says, okay, this guy's exit velocity is 87 and a half. He's slugging, you know, 490. That's just probably not going to happen. Maybe it does. Um, and, and launch angle is a big part of what that, that result is as well. Um, but this is one of the things that I'm working on as far as kind of looking at the associated outcomes um, as far as the averages in Major League Baseball right now. Um, how long have you been working on this? Uh, for about, uh, 10 days now. So I'm, I'm still kind of early into it. Um, but that's one of the first things. The next thing that I'm going to look at is the ages associated to, um, exit velocity. So trying to determine if there's kind of a sweet spot. I know we all think 25 through 28 is kind of the power peak. I think probably two or three years ago, we thought it was 27, 28, now maybe we're leaning towards 25, 26 based on how polished these players are coming into the major leagues. Um, I have seen that below 24 and below that there's just not a slug that's very good as far as the exit velocity is concerned. Um, but in my early, early findings, I don't see that big of a gap between, you know, 26 and, and even 33. I'm going to have to kind of continue to dig into and, and, and find out. But um, it's been good good so far and, and uh, kind of good to dig into the numbers and see what uh, see what we find. Um, have there been any players that have been, like, really surprising to you? I know, like, Sano's got crazy and Judge and all those guys, but anybody that you really wouldn't think of that just, like, really stands out to you from your early research at all? Um, not really anybody off the top of my head, but it, it is somebody that you – it is a tool that I look at all the time. I mean, that's one of the first things that I go to is look at the exit velocity, look at their hard contact rate, um, look at their launch angle. Um, and that's kind of a, a truth serum serum to me is 
you know, if a guy's on a monster tear and his average exit velocity during that tear is 87, I just, I have kind of no interest because there's no way they can sustain that type of production with a, a low level exit velocity. On the other side, if I dig in and find out that it's 91 and a half, Ryan Zimmerman's a guy that, uh, that I think everybody was surprised at kind of early in the season. He was a guy that I targeted in my preseason predictions that had an elite level exit velocity. You're talking top 10 in baseball, but his ground ball rate was just horrible. I mean, it was like almost like Yelich is, is this year. It was so bad. And so one of my bold predictions was that Ryan Zimmerman was going to hit 30 home runs this year. And I based that on hopefully him changing his launch angle, and he did. Um, and we all know what Ryan Zimmerman's done the last little bit. So when you combine you know, the exit velocity that you want to see at kind of a peak elite level with a good launch angle, I mean, crazy things can happen. Zimmerman's an example of that. Nice. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what else develops from that research. We might have to come talk about it again some other time. It's very interesting. Um, let's do a little fancy baseball. Would you rather? We're going to compare two players that similar stats for the most part, but um, and they're in the same position. But would you rather have A or B basically for the rest of the season? Um, we'll kick it off with this. You got Corey Dickerson. Everyone knows he's just been on fire. You know he's hitting 345. 12 homers, 38 RBIs, 25 runs scored, not stealing any bases, surprisingly. Or would you rather have Adam Duvall, who's hitting 279, not a bad average for him, 14 homers, 30 runs scored, 45 RBIs, and three stolen bases? Um, what would you take in this one? So for this one, I'm, I'm taking Adam Duvall. Um, who, who, like you said, has been on a good little stretch. Uh, maybe not the stretch that Dickerson has been on recently. Um, and I think the, the main reason is Dickerson's O swing percentage, which is the amount of times that he swings outside of the zone at pitches, is the, the highest in baseball, like 47 or 48%. So there's nobody in baseball that swings outside of the zone more than Corey Dickerson does. Um, and, and I think – Major league pitchers are going to see that. If I can find it out, I'm pretty sure that the opposing pitchers can find it out, and they're just not going to give him anything in the zone. You know, four weeks ago when he was Corey Dickerson of 2016, they weren't really taking him seriously. Right now, I think pitchers are going to adjust to him the next several weeks, and I, I can't imagine that he continues at this pace. Yeah, um, it's kind of how I mentioned with like Roto leagues, you kind of get the season as a whole. I think what Dickerson's doing is amazing, but we got to be real about it. A 345 average, 12 homers. The power might be there, but you know, I'm thinking low 20s, maybe 25 by the end of the season. That average is coming down, in my opinion. He's got a Babbitt of 403. So you that, think that's, prob- yeah, that's probably not going to continue. Yeah, regression's got to come there. And then Duvall, great hitter's ballpark, um, pretty good lineup to hit in. Not that the raise is that bad, but they're overachieving in almost every statistical category you can think of right now, and they strike out a ton. So, yeah, I'm with you on Duvall. I like Dickerson a lot. I'm not downplaying him, but, uh, like, in reality, Duvall, I think, overall, is the better upside. The other thing to consider, too, is Dickerson's exit velocity. We just talked about, uh, you know, what level you want to see. Dickerson's exit velocity during this stretch or or throughout the year is just barely above 87. So for, for me, that that caps his slug potential 
right around 400 to 425. Um, and if you look at what he's slugging to date, it is that 616. So I, yeah. I, that's a massive gap for me. Um, mm-hmm. And there's probably other underlining things. You need to look at his hard hit rate. You need to look at his launch angle. Um, but when you see a gap that large, you know, something to me is kind of screaming regression. So Definitely, definitely. All right, let's move on to another set of outfielders. Um, two big, big power hitters, one in the American League, one in the National League. got Nelson Cruz. Uh, just never seems to age. Every time they say he's going to stop, <laughs> he just keeps hitting the baseball. Sitting 279, 12 homers, 42 RBIs, and 21 runs scored. Only a 288 BABIP. So most of this seems, for the most part, pretty darn legit. Going up against Giancarlo Stanton, they moved him to the two hole in Miami, and he is loving it there. Absolutely loving it. Hitting 283, 13 homers, 35 ribbies, 26 runs scored. I'd like him to walk more, but it is what it is. Um, who would you take between Stanton and Cruz? You know what? This is a really, really good player comp here because the more that I look at the numbers, I mean, I almost want to throw a tie on there because it's <laughs> you. You want to take Nelson Cruz because he's he's been more consistent, like you said. You kind of expect you can pencil him in for his stats. He's done the last three seasons. Um, there's maybe not a more consistent hitter in baseball than what Cruz has done. But at that same token, he's uh, nine years older than Stanton is. So if I had to pick, I'm going to pick the 27-year-old and go with Stanton, but it's not by a large margin. I mean, go with go with Cruz just because he's he's – you know, I feel like he's had a longer track record. He's more consistent, but um, you know, betting on a thirty-six-year-old is probably not something that I want to get too uh, too comfortable with. So I'm going to go with Stan. Yeah, no, it, it's it's crazy. Um, like I said, Cruz is getting so old. I saw so many people write him off this year, saying age is going to catch up, and all he's done is match the baseball. And Stanton, we know how good he can be. He seems to always get hurt. Now, given, you know, getting hit in the face of the baseball is not a baseball-related injury. Like, that's just fluke. That's not like, you know, a torn ACL or something. But um, it is pretty crazy how evenly matched numbers-wise these guys are. And it, to me, it comes down to kind of ballpark, which, you know, they're both pitcher-friendly. Um, you got – the lineups, I'd say Seattle's is probably better than Miami's, but yeah, it's pretty darn close. If you had the age, is probably a good way to clear the tie. Can't argue that one at all. Moving on to a couple of middle infielders, um, Flores is having a season that you know we thought he was good. We knew he was decent. He's getting it done right now, and the numbers don't show ton of regression there's some but the numbers are pretty legit for the most part 292 average 10 homers 30 rbis 30 runs scored three stolen bases um swinging it really really well for the reds again similar to duvall great lineup great ballpark then you got rendon he started out extremely slow has gone on a tear that big game helped him a ton but he's still hitting since then 291 nine homers 24 runs 32 ribbies Three steals as well, lower K rate. I guess they're I both third basemen. Sorry, I'm going to remember both third basemen. 
I think for this one, I, I didn't really like Rendon coming into the season. I've never been a Rendon fan, I guess, if you put it that way. And I've been impressed by what Suarez has done. I think he's kind of one of the more underrated players in baseball. I don't think he gets a lot of publicity there in Cincinnati. And I think he's kind of been written off what he did in 2016. And I think he's still kind of being written off what he's doing this year. Um, guy, and I, I, I'm consistently looking at, at groups of players that kind of fit in. And I have a, a stat that I'll share with you on Rendon that I found recently. Um, so there are a few players, you know, about eight or ten players in baseball that have a walk-to-strikeout rate um, above .85 and an average exit velocity above 89 miles an hour. Um, so that list consists of Posey, Betts, Goldschmidt, Harper, Freeman, Santana, and Trout. That's a pretty good list to, to be in. Um, so that tells me that he's got a very controlled approach. He's not afraid of taking walks. Um, he, he's not going to strike out a bunch. It just kind of tells me that he's a, a good rounded hitter. And there's not anything else that I see um, in the rest of his profile that really kind of kind of scares me away. Um, and again, kind of focusing on that exit velocity is, is kind of a separator for me. Um, and you can tell when you're grouped with, with guys like Posey, Betts, Goldschmidt, Harper, Freeman, and Trout, anytime you can be on that list, that's a, that's a pretty good standing. Yeah, that's outstanding. Um, one reason why I wanted to compare these two is they're both off to great starts of the year, as the stats say. And like you said, both are kind of you know underrated or going into the draft season, people really didn't have much to like about these guys. I know I wasn't big on either. Like Suarez, I could I would take late if he was hanging around as like a late option. But I always thought Rendon went too early for what power upside he has, but he's hitting with way more power this year. Maybe that regresses. But the numbers you just stated and that company he's in suggest otherwise. Um, this one's really, really close to me. So I'd go Suarez, but – Hitting in the Nats lineup there does not suck for Rendon. I'll say that much. Just like it doesn't suck for Suarez, but um, it's really interesting. Yeah, that, that, that list is impressive. impressive. That lineup, that lineup is insane. What they've done this season is is like video game numbers. So yeah, hitting anywhere in the heart of that lineup is going to set him up to succeed. You know, for more than just the counting stats as far as runs and RBIs. I mean, he's he he's sandwich, you know guys like Harper and and, and Zimmerman who's having you know, an unbelievable season and, and hitting around guys like Daniel Murphy. I mean, anywhere near those guys, you're going to get some good pitches to hit. Yep. So so I think he's going to benefit from just being in that lineup, maybe more than anybody else in baseball. Yeah, there's always going to be guys on base to drive to drive in and stuff. The, the fantasy stats are always going to be there. It's going to be great. Let's move to some pitching with some more. And um, – We'll go to your backyard for one of them, Zach Granke, who had a really rough 2016. All the talk out of spring was the velocity was down, all this good stuff. I was very worried about that. I was staying far, far away from Zach Granke. Well, he has put egg on my face this year. A 3.24 ERA, a 3.06 X-Fit was outstanding. Um, 10.45K per nine. He's been filthy. Filthy, just looks outstanding when he's pitching. But then another guy who gets it done and has get, been getting it done against some high high competition in the AL East is Marco Estrada, three one five ERA, three six six x fit with a ten two two K per nine. Um, very similar numbers between the two. Who would you take rest of season? 
Well, I was one of those guys that was freaking out about uh, Grinke's velocity in, in, in the preseason because he was dipping around that dangerous territory where he was at like 89, 90, 91. If you don't have a 91 and a half mile an hour fastball in baseball, you're just not fooling anybody. They're able to just sit back, you know, sit and sit and, un, you know, unload on, on everything you're throwing. So he was really in that dangerous territory. He seems to have increased his velocity back to a kind of a safe measure. Um, and he's very, very controlled in what he's done this season. So one of the things that I dig into for pitchers, probably my favorite stat for, for, for starters is strikeouts minus walks. Um, and so right now in baseball, Grinky is third overall as far as strikeouts minus walks, kind of net strikeouts if you want to look at it that way. The only two guys ahead of him are a guy named uh, Sale and another guy named Scherzer. So, and the guy right after him is Clayton Kershaw. Again, if we're talking about nice little groups to be in, um, that's that's a pretty good group to be in as far as efficiency. Um, so he's he's got a pretty very well manageable whip, um, and he's striking out enough batters and not walking enough that his ERA should be very very controlled. Again, kind of setting him up for wins and, and other things, all the things that you want to target, but. He's a guy that's kind of put all the all the people that doubted him in spring training, you know, uh, put put him aside because he's pitching out of his mind right now. Yes, yeah, so you're taking Granky over Estrada. That means I'm taking it. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. I can't blame you there. Estrada's been amazing, but I, you, you've seen this from Granky in other seasons at least, so you can hope it continues. Um, next up, Jacob Degrom who has been awesome. He's about the only guy I'd knock on wood so far that is staying healthy for the Mets. Uh, 12.09K per nine. He's still walking over three per nine. Uh, but he's got three two three ERAs. X tips only 2.85, which is outstanding. Pitching really well there in New York. Again, for a team that, like I said, is very, very injury-ridden. One two five whip, 2.31 opponent average. And you got Chris Archer who looks a lot more like the Chris Archer of old, 3.61 ERA, 10.95 K per nine, bringing in a pretty solid whip of 1.18, which is way back to his norm, 2.21 opponent batting average. Really interesting. And the caveat that Chris Archer might be on another team come the trade deadline that's a contender. So keep that in mind. Uh, what's your pick between DeGrom and Archer rest of the season? Well, I think I'm probably going to go DeGrom, and I really don't have any real solid stats to back it up. Um, Archer's been a guy that I've kind of stayed away from the last several years. His whip, I think, is is closer to, to 1.40 than it um, – you know, for me, I kind of I, – I picture him as kind of a, a high whip guy. Um, 1.18 is actually quite lower than what I was expecting you to say. Um, so maybe it's a, a second look that I need to look at, but uh, for me it's – it's Degrom, um, even though the the Mets and the way they treat their pitchers is scary. Yeah, the the thing with Archer that's been really interesting this year is he usually has really really insane home road splits, and he started out that way this year. His last few road starts have been outstanding, and I think that's helping his whip a lot as well. He's not walking nearly the same amount as he was before. He's down to. Uh, Three one one, which is I guess around his is average, but um, he's definitely limiting the damage 
His home run per nine is below one this year. So he's doing things a lot different than last year especially. But, yeah, the whip used to always be a concern with Archer. No doubt about that. Let's head to our last one here. It's two young left-handed arms. First off, we got Eduardo Rodriguez of the Boston Red Sox. Coming into this year, I was big on the potential for Rodriguez. He was a big prospect. Finished up last season the way we expected him to pitch. Didn't know if he was going to get a spot in the rotation. Was hurt. Finally has a spot due to all Boston's injuries. He has a 4-1 record, 9.6K per nine, 277 ERA which is awesome. 403 X fit, which is, yeah, so there might be some regression, but he's also got a one, one, two whip and a two Oh six opponent average. You got to take into account. He's pitching in the AL East, which is not easy by any means. Now I'm comparing him to a guy that I have a little bit of a man crutch on and I'm pretty sure you don't mind watching him pitch either. And that's Robbie Ray, who tonight even threw a complete game shutout in Pittsburgh with 10 strikeouts 11.10 11.10 K per nine, about one home run per nine, three, four, five ERA. And the last thing, opponent average is only 198 and a 1.20 whip. He's definitely brought, you know, the wall is a concern, almost 12%. But he's almost got a 30% K rate. I think I know where you're going to go with this one, but who do you got? So I am going to go with Ray. Um, and, and my, my backing up other than the fact that, uh, you know, I'm a D backs fan and I get it, get to watch him, you know, um, all the time is he was one of the most unlucky pitchers in baseball last season. So in back in January, um, I kind of tweeted out uh, a top five or six guys that, uh, that, that we want to target in drafts based on the gap between their FIP and their ERA. And Ray was on that list as, as having one of the biggest differentials between his FIP and his ERA. And part of that is the Diamondbacks' defense. The park that they play in, Chase Field, is, is a major park for home runs. Um, but this year, he, he is pitching almost right in line with what his FIP is. Um, as were last year, it was almost a full run gap. Um, so for me, this I kind of saw this coming um, from, from a long ways away, and I'm just – happy that he's been able to put it together. He's he's kind of been up and down a little bit this year. Like you said, he pitched a, a, a complete game shutout. I think he had 10 strikeouts and four hits. Um, so he's, you know, he's going to walk four batters every once in a while and give up a chase field home run. And the next game he's going to come out and pitch nine solid innings and strike out 10. Um, the, the thing from watching him as a fan, he's got such good stuff, but he doesn't trust it enough. He needs to be able to pitch to soft contact. And that'll take him deeper in the games like like he did tonight. If he can pitch in, in key situations where there's two guys, you know, two guys out and you're pitching at like seven, eight, and nine in the lineup, just just throw him a, a meatball down the middle and just have him ground out or something like that. But he, he tries to nibble with so many guys and ends up burning him because he walks, you know, you know, three per nine or something like that. So um, if he ever really puts it together, um, and it kind of seems like he is now, but but he still has another level that he can get to. Man, watch out because his his K potential is just off the charts. Yeah, you hit it on the head. Uh, nothing against Eduardo Rodriguez. I think he's going to be really good. Um, but I love Robbie Ray, and like you said, his K potential is insane. His walks are just frustrating. Like he had three point four five in two thousand fifteen for nine, three six seven last year. He's at four three five this year. But it's exactly what you said. I sat behind a game earlier this year, home plate 
when he faced off against the Giants in San Francisco, and it's just nibble after nibble after nibble, and he just doesn't trust it. And it, it is frustrating to watch because he's very, very talented. I think he only went like six innings that night, and he still dominated for those six innings. But, you know, you're not going to get much if your pitch counts through the roof. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you on him. I think he's outstanding. He's what gives your uh, D-backs – a lot of hope this year, especially with Miller and uh, Walker going down to pair him with Granke. Very, very good young arm. Um, we're going to head to the the final set of questions here. And since you are the Arizona native and you're a D-backs fan, I always ask my guests some questions about their teams. So I wanted to hit you up on some stuff. They are introducing the humidor to Chase Field. I like to call it Coors Light because that ball just goes crazy there. First off, I can't find an exact date. I think it's around the All-Star break. Do you know when they're putting the humidor in? From what I've been told, um, they are targeting post-All-Star break. I don't know if they're actually going to get it there done during that weekend and be able to to, to roll it out. Um, but one of the things that I hear from fans and and, you know, uh, fantasy baseball owners out there is they're kind of frustrated that the Diamondbacks are rolling it out midseason because everybody's kind of in panic mode. Like, well, what is this going to do to the hitters? What is this going to do to the pitchers? Um, so it sounds like they're going to do it midseason. Um, I'm not as concerned as some of the people that I talk to as far as what's it going to do. Um, Chase Field right now is playing like the biggest home run park in baseball. Um, so I think they're leading all of baseball in home runs second to, to Coors. Um, so yeah, I think they probably need to do something, um, because I think maybe otherwise they're going to be the new course. Um, it's just insane. Yeah, no, I, I've heard people say like, how can you do that in the middle of the season? It'd be like in football, putting the goalposts in front of the end zone halfway through. So your kicker's different or, you know, changing this or that mid season as you drafted for something else. It's just not right. But I get it. Uh, they say a lot of the things they're talking about is just because of the temperature and the humidity and everything in Arizona, the pitchers can't even grip a baseball properly to get a slider off and all, kind, all kinds of different things. But um, I did hear Jake Lamb, they're saying like 25 to 30% of his home runs in Chase Field wouldn't have left the yard, which I find hard to believe. I, I really find that hard to believe, but I'm not a guy measuring all the home runs, so I have no idea. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. I really am. Yeah, I, um, I, I, my thought is that this was something that they did specifically for Grinky. You know, coming into 2016, they invested so much money and they got so little return on what he did for Diamondback fans that I think they were like, look, they were already thinking we got to do something. You know, they didn't change the, the pitching coach. They, they didn't do a whole lot different. They were like, maybe we can do this. Maybe this will make him happy or make him grip the ball better, or pitch a little bit better. Um, so I think this actually was almost specifically for Greinke. I don't know if it was based on his complaints. He's kind of a, a different guy in the clubhouse. Um, but I think this is kind of a, a reassurance in their $200 million investment for Zach Greinke. Hey, if you pay that kind of money, you better make him happy. It's like the Braves. They basically built SunTrust Park for Freddie Freeman. So you do the little things to keep him happy. Yep. Um, Okay, the uniforms. I got to ask you. <laughs> what? Um, I told you I'm going to have some fun with this. Um, a, honest opinion, thoughts on having like 75 uniforms? Um, I like the the darker gray and the teal. Like kind of the, the lettering with the teal. I think 
and even the white with the teal, those are those are pretty good looking. They're they're sharp uniforms. They're they're weird because you know baseball is full of traditionalists that that are you know the same hats from 1980, the Yankees and the pinstripes, and and so a lot of just baseball fans in general are not used to change. Um, the Diamondbacks have a luxury of a young franchise, so they can kind of make goofy adjustments like this and sell more jerseys. Um, the ones with the like the kind of the sparkle on the on the shoulder pads or whatever it is, those things are awful. Like just just burn them. I mean, cut them up like Chris Sale and get rid of those things. Just you know, reduce it down to the two or three that you have the the whites with the teal, the grays with the teal, and, and get rid of the sparkly red, whatever the crap those things are because they're they're horrible. Okay, thank you. You, you helped to answer <laughs> part of my question because I'm sitting there looking at these things going road uniform you have a, a home uniform guys have their sunday alternates sure fine these guys literally that one i think the sparkly one has got like kind of like it bleeds red or something and then goes into the white and everything i'm sitting there going what are like who what acid trip took place when they were building this and just threw paint at the fabric and said oh we got it but um, okay, I was curious from an Arizona <laughs> fan point. I had to hear an answer to that because I've never asked anybody. Um, I have been to Chase Field a few times, visiting friends down there, and it's a nice ballpark. I love having the bar right outside the front door. That's a great time. I forget the name of it now, but Sliders or something. I can't remember. Really great bar. Um, good scenery at that bar. Um, one thing that annoys the crap out of me when I'm at the game, and I don't know if it's just because I'm an opponent fan, the nonstop snake rattle every time they try to get the fans pumped up. Oh. I, you know what? I'll be honest. I go to a lot of games, and I, I don't ever remember the, the snake rattle. Maybe it's because I'm so used to it. It's one of those things that you just you don't even sense. It's already like in, in tune with what you're what you're doing. So – um, it's interesting to hear that as an opposing an opposing fan that you're uh, it drives you insane because for me it's probably just background noise. You know, I've been I've been hearing it since you know '98 or or whenever uh, you know my first game was. So it's uh, it's kind of a part of, part of what the fan experiences, I guess. Because I'll I'll laugh when I'm even watching a Giants D backs game and I hear it on TV and I'm just like, God, there's that stinking noise again. It's because everywhere you go, it's like you get the dun 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 charge. That seems like a normal thing. Well, it seems like that's their charge chant every time. It's it, it, it has the the video going around the stadium on the thing, and I get it if you're a fan of the D backs. I can see where you're coming from, but as an opponent, I'm like, what in the world? It's like watching a Yankees game and they do that stupid thing after every strikeout. <laughs> it's it's the same or, or thing. A, a, a Braves game and watching them do the uh, the the chant the uh, tomahawk chop. Yeah, tomahawk chop. Yep. Yep. So everyone's got their thing. So I get it if you're a fan of the team. I was just curious if it stood out, but it, it makes sense if you're a fan of the team. Um, another thing that came out this week and it really surprised me. I just talked about it on another podcast about an hour and a half ago. Um, Drag Sports wrote the D-backs because of their depleted farm system, even in contention, should think about trading A.J. Pollock, Granke, and some other big names. That took me by storm. I, I would understand if you weren't in contention. As a Diamondbacks fan, how do you feel about that? Well, the only chance, and this is a, a really good topic, uh, me and my buddies you know, talk about this uh, probably more than, than, than a lot of things. 
Um, coming into this season, I was kind of down, like a lot of people were on the Diamondbacks opportunity. Grinicky just signed on a monster contract, underperformed. Miller wasn't going to be what, you know, what we thought he was going to be. Um, Goldschmidt had a, a, a good season, but maybe not even a Goldschmidt season that we were used to as far as power. Um, Pollock was injured. Peralta was injured. It was kind of a rough stretch for us. Um, I, I was kind of on team. Look at trading Goldschmidt um, for what you can get right now, seeing some of the trades that went went through the major leagues. Uh, I'm surprised and excited about the start they've gotten off to. But the fact is, if they have Zach Greinke on their team, there's no way they can lock up Goldschmidt, Pollock long-term. Um, they can they can keep Lamb. They can keep some of those other guys. Um, but Zach Greinke right now is the third of their payroll, and they're not in a position as a franchise to go out and spend an extra 20% as far as payroll goes to, to make a push. Um, I, I think it's pretty possible. I think I heard uh, earlier in the week that Greinke was on the top of some lists as far as potential trades coming into the all-star break. I wouldn't expect him to be on the top of a list, but I think he's definitely being shopped around. If somebody's going to give you kind of price value for what that contract is, I think that Max are actually going to take a look at it. Hmm. I, I, I totally understand it. And from a business viewpoint, and, you know, if you can keep, you know, Pollock and Goldschmidt and then reload and get a, there, there's some great starting pitcher options coming in free agency next year. So I, I, I get it from that angle. It just took me off guard because I thought the D-backs were probably another year away or so because I wasn't sold on the starting pitching. And they've really surprised me this year. And they're, I think they have a great shot of at least competing for a wild card. If not, I think the Dodgers end up running away with it. But you never know. And uh, I was surprised that even in contention, they might entertain this. But it makes sense. It makes tons of sense. It's a good conversation. If you're going to do it, for me, if you're going to sell off uh, Grinky, you know, I think a lot of people are like, well, you sell off Grinky so you can keep Goldschmidt and Pollock. I'm the exact opposite. If you're going to sell Grinky, you unload Goldschmidt and you get 20 to 23-year-old MLB-ready top 10, top 15 talent, which there's only about three teams in baseball you could trade with right now. Um, you got probably the Yankees, the Red Sox, the White Sox, the Astros, and get probably under 24-year-old top 30 talent in return for some of those players. But you can make a quick little rebound and, and make a stab at it for 2019 um, or 2020, kind of like the Strohs did, like the Cubs did. You know, the Red Sox seem to be up and down each year. Um, but if you're going to get rid of Grinky, I'm on team, you know, unload everybody because they have assets. Pollock's an asset. Goldschmidt's an asset. Um, they can make a quick turn of it. You just try and stay in contention and make a little run. You're having, you're on a good little stretch here. Um, you know, there's really only a three-man race. I don't expect the Rockies to to stick around as much as they are. Um, I don't think the Dodgers are good long-term just based on their their track record for starters. I mean, they're a, a slip in the shower away from being just abysmal as far as the rotation goes. So it's you know, it's it's an interesting NL West uh, stretch here. No, I totally agree. That's why I was surprised for it, but it is a great a great topic. And uh, you got Super 2s coming up here, draft coming up, and then trade deadline. There's going to be a lot of interesting things taking place in baseball for fantasy and real-life concerns. It's real interesting. Um, I saw you tweet out one of your polls today involved Goldie. We talked about him just now. Do you think he's a 30-30 guy this year? I do. Um I don't know how he does it because he's a big dude. 
I mean, he's a very, very big dude. And steals is a funny stat because um, it, it's kind of effort-based. And he's not a fast guy. He's a quick guy. And he's a very smart baseball guy with a very high baseball IQ. And so he gets a good lead. He studies pitchers. And he just he gets out there and goes. But uh, one of the bold predictions I made this year was for the second year in a row, which makes it less bold, but the Goldschmidt was going to beat Altuve in, in steals. And I don't know what the numbers are right now, but I think it's a pretty good chance that, that he beats Altuve for the second year in a row in total steals, which if you stack the guys up next to each other, you'd be like, how is this humanly possible? In a foot race, Altuve beat him by you know 80 feet. So it's, it's, it's kind of cool to watch him from a fan standpoint um, and how smart he is in the base paths and, and kind of what he does um, day in and day out. All right, last question. You, you pretty much already answered it, but I want to get the exact answer. Saying that they don't trade anybody and maybe even acquire someone or whatever, but they at least stick with what they have now, what do you think the outlook is for the rest of the season for your Diamondbacks? So I picked them to win the division coming into the season. I picked uh, Diamondbacks to win, um, which is kind of putting my fan hat on. I picked the Rockies to, to make it to the wild card, and I picked the Giants and the Dodgers to, to, to miss out, um, which, which sounds insane. But, you know, as we sit right now, it's not, uh, not too bad. I, I think they have a, a pretty good chance. I think if they continue on the stretch that they are right now, they're at least a wild card team. The toughest they had was in the first 45 days of the season. Their schedule gets easier and easier throughout the next two or three months. Um, and so it's kind of pivotal t- a pivotal time for them. If they can go four or five games over 500 in the next 18 to 20 games, they're definitely buyers. You know, if they go under 500, it's kind of a no man's territory. And if they lose seven out of the next 10, you know, I bet you they really shop Grinky pretty hard. So the next 20 games for the Diamondbacks are, are pretty crucial. Interesting. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, really appreciate it, Keith. Um, uh, anything else you'd like to mention or are you, you good to wrap this bad boy up? No, man, I appreciate uh, you having me on. It's been a lot of fun. I, um, I really like the comps that you had thrown together for those players, digging in uh, pretty deep. Those guys are really, really close. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it was a blast. We'll definitely do this again sometime later in the season or whatnot, and uh, we'll keep in touch. You guys can find Keith on Twitter at fantasy underscore Keith. Please give him a follow. Uh, lots of really good fantasy info. He writes at thelinescore.com, and check out their podcast, Fantasy Front Office Pod. Very informative, good. They don't ramble on like I do, so it's good stuff. Um, check it out. But, Keith, again, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks. No problem. Everybody, this was Bench with Bubba, episode 39. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next week.